Ever wondered how to bring the magic of nature play into your child's education? Or how to say goodbye to your worries about snakes and ticks? Well, with Nature Play Now, crafting an epic outdoor program is easier than you think. You'll boost your confidence, skill sets, and have parents eager to enroll. Join the adventure for just $57 exclusively for Raising Wildlings listeners. Visit our Raising Wildlings website for more details today. In this episode, I get to chat with Vicky about how her family found themselves on their unschooling journey. This is part four of our series on families at unschool, homeschool, wild school and world school that will run until the end of the year. Last week, we spoke to Lucy Aiken-Reed about unschooling in a yurt, the school wound and child autonomy. You can head on over and check it out. It's episode 29. But if you're wondering if homeschooling or unschooling are for you, then tune in and let's hear what Vicky has to say. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education, and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in, and join us on this next adventure. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Raising Wildlings podcast. We're your hosts, Vicky Oliver and Nikki Farrell. Two weeks ago, we had a lot of fun when Vicky interviewed me about my family's unschooling journey. Well, today we're flipping the table and I'll be interviewing Vicky on her family's journey, how they made the decision to homeschool based on their children's personality, and how after doing all the research, how Vicky made the decision to actually take the leap. Before we dive in, though, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your podcast player of choice. And if this episode has resonated in any way, we'd love for you to take a screenshot of the podcast artwork and share it with us so that we can share it on our Instagram stories. So I have to say, I totally enjoyed chatting with you two weeks ago, Vic. It's It was really obvious how passionate we are. <laughs> yep. I can't wait to now flip the table and hear your story. Because exactly like you said, I love listening to your story. I love hearing the passion that comes through and knowing your children as they do, I can see the benefits every day of of Mm. the choices that your family has made. So let's get straight into it. Was there one choice or one decision or one thing that made you decide to homeschool? I think you nailed it last time. It's never going to be one thing. It's always going to be a number of things. But I think one of the main reasons that I really started to seriously consider homeschooling was when I was faced with the decision about sending my daughter to school and I had the email in front of me, which was to enroll her. So um, I'll backtrack a little bit. So I've I've actually spent a lot of time socialising with homeschoolers. My sister decided to homeschool her daughter who's two years older than my oldest. So I knew a lot about homeschooling and I loved it and I started to read a little bit about it and thought it was a great option for people. But knowing the choices that me and my husband had already talked about previously and sort of feeling like I was going to go back to work, I didn't actually think that it was a good choice for our family or even an option. And it wasn't until when when your child is of an age where you can actually see how they're going to cope being Mm. in the system, my eldest child has been sent to me to be my teacher. 
<laughs> she is my one thing on this earth that has taught me so many lessons. And mm. in her personality, she is this beautiful being where she's got such a strong, fierce sense of justice. She doesn't like to be taught things explicitly. She likes to observe and try things on her own and feel this sense of accomplishment from trying things without any pressure from someone looking in on her. She doesn't like being told what to do. She needs to be part of the decision-making process. And I could see her in a classroom in prep either being the naughty child, the one that was always getting in trouble because they're pushing back and pushing the boundaries because that's what she does with me. (laughs) But then on the other side is because she doesn't like being told what to do, she often is as confident as she is. She also doesn't like other people judging her. And so she would then become a very compliant, obedient child, which is what I was like, which is what I'm trying to avoid at all costs. Um, So I didn't want those two options for her. And I got to the point where I, I really had to, and the hardest thing for me, which I think we'll talk about, is having to have that honest conversation with my husband because we I already thought we'd made that choice. Mm. Let's jump straight to that then. Yeah. How did you convince your husband, Jamie, to get on board? Yeah, I will be really honest about this. It was terrifying for me to have this conversation. As I said, we sort of had laid out what our life was going to look like and had made a whole heap of decisions and I kept saying to him, oh, no, I don't want to homeschool. Don't worry. I know that my sister's homeschooling and I hang out with all the homeschoolers. Don't worry. This is not an option that I want to look at. I'm really happy with exploring an alternative education option for her. Uh, And we did. We did a few school tours and things like that. And I just had this feeling, I think it's the first time I really tapped into my intuition and that gut feeling that told me, I I really need to have this conversation. It was really hard for us because we often didn't have an opportunity to talk without the children around because my husband works away. So when he's home, we spend a lot of time together as a family. So we finally got this time together and we spoke about it. And one of the things that resonated with me, I think because I'm such an inherent people pleaser and I don't like conflict and because my husband, I feel like is really good at arguing his side of things a lot of the time. <laughs> um, I just, I don't think I felt the confidence to be able to impart on him the, the things that I knew and the information that I'd read about homeschooling and what made me just so sure that this was the right choice for us. But when I was exposed to this idea that I think we touched on this earlier is that women tend to be the ones that take on the burden of education. Um, I I am generalising, so I do understand that there are plenty of men that take on that role and that's fine. But for the most part and from what I see in our social groups inside Homeschooling and Out is that the women do take on the burden of education. And therefore, if we are doing that and we are investing the time to make the right choices for our children and to research and read and read and read, then if you want to have this conversation with your partner, then you need to have a conversation. And if you've got points in your favor of how you want and why homeschooling is a good option for your family, then your partner needs to have a counter argument that is watertight. Mm -hmm. So if they have concerns, then they then if you've got a response to that, then they need to listen to you. 
So they need to not ignore the fact that there is some really solid reasons why most of those concerns or misconceptions about homeschooling are incorrect. I want to just add there as well that from our circle as well, the husbands that have been quite anti-homeschooling to begin with are also the husbands that have not loved school, Yeah, which is really interesting. Um, and when you ask them, well, did you enjoy school? The answer is like, no, I hated it. Yeah. But there's been no further thought as to then why you would send your own children to the same system. Yeah. And I think it's really difficult. I know that the conversations I've had with people is I've, I've tried to get things under their books are hard, right? So if your mm. husband doesn't enjoy reading, then throwing a book under their nose isn't going to work. I know that that has been something that me and my husband have talked about a lot, but at the end of the day, it just wasn't the way that we could have that conversation. And so I used shorter articles that he could read that sometimes could articulate, like I could talk to anyone about homeschooling till the cows come home. When I when I talked to my husband about it, I don't think I could articulate it as well because I had so much writing on it. So <laughs> sometimes you do need supporting and you need someone outside. I, I don't know. I think that happens a lot of the time in relationships is that you need an outside influence to be able to listen to because, you know, if you want it that badly, sometimes they they might think that you're twisting, like not twisting things, but, you know, maybe only seeing the good things and not being honest about the negative things. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of fear and, again, totally genderizing here and yeah. aware of that. Um there's a, still a real provider mentality in a lot of mm. husbands and a fear of not having enough income. Yeah. Um, and that's a discussion that we need to have as a family. Is yeah. It, how much is enough for our family? What are other ways that we can do this? It doesn't have to just be, you know, one person earning that income or it can be. It doesn't matter, but whatever it is that works for you, it just needs to be that big open discussion. It does. And also you don't have to make a decision for the next 12 years right yes. now. So that's Mm -hmm. one thing that I often will say to people is that whatever choice you make, whether it is to send your child to school or the decision to keep them home for a bit, any time you can change that choice. Yeah, and change it again. You can go to school, out of school, to school, it doesn't matter. And as teachers, we've seen that. Like it's your children will be quote unquote fine. (laughs) And, And you know what? Either which way you look at it, no matter which road you take, there is a risk that your child won't cope. So you know, some people go, oh, but if you put them in and out of school, like that, you know, that can do a lot to a child. But so can keeping them at mm. school if they are struggling mentally. If mm-hmm. bullying's an issue, if learning difficulties are an issue, if confidence and self-esteem are issues, anxiety, anxiety, depression, those things are harmful to your child. Keeping them at school, and likewise, there are some in some situations where keeping them at home is not ideal either. So there's always that risk, but. At any one time when you are trying to do the best for your child, that is all you can do. And if that Mm -hmm. means that you have to trial things in and out, then that's what you have to do. So it's important for people to remember that. So, yeah, it was a conversation. And at the end of the day, my husband said to me, Vic, you, I know you read a lot, like I do. (laughs) He's like, Mm -hmm. you're always reading stuff. And I trust that what you've read is the the best choice. And don't get me wrong, we have had plenty of conversations since then Mm. uh, about our choices. And again, it's about all of the worries and concerns that he has around and has had around homeschooling have also been my concerns and really Mm. common concerns of other people. So it is about 
breaking that down. And the other thing I remind my husband is that I am surrounded by the community. I'm seeing the social proof, whereas sometimes our partners, when they work a lot, they're not part of it. They're not there to see the older children and the families that have teenagers at university and how they went about it. They're not having those conversations, they're not feeling the passion and they're not feeling the confidence that people have in their choices and they're only going off what you're relaying. So if you can get them involved in your community in any way just to see how other people are doing it, then that is valuable. Hey, it's Nikki here interrupting this episode to quickly say if you're like us and feeling torn between your career as an educator versus your beliefs for child development, then we've created a five-step e-guide to unlock your purpose without compromising your values. This treasure map is completely free, takes just 10 minutes and is available from our Raising Wildlings website. So why not dive in and see how you go? Okay, now back to the episode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which leads me to the next one. Mm. How does your family manage financially? Yeah, so our situation's a little bit different to yours, Nikki, in that my husband actually works away during the week and without him parenting solo from Monday to Friday and he's home on the weekends. So we actually, for a while, it was only one income while I was off on maternity leave and then we decided not to send them to any sort of daycare. And one of the reasons for that was because I don't feel the need to. We had such an active social life that whatever I thought that they would learn from a kindy scenario, they were already learning from just being with me and our friendship groups and being out and about. So it was sort of unnecessary and we both could see the benefit of that. So we just um, managed to live within our means. And now that we've I started the business, you know, I work basically built around how much time I need to spend with the girls doing life Do you want to talk about that and just detail again? Because I know there's a lot of parents out there that are wondering how they're going to do it on one income and, again, how they're going to look after themselves, meet the children's needs and perhaps their own work needs as well. Yeah, and particularly I guess in my situation I do solo parent during the week, so how do I juggle that? So for me, uh, for a long time I, you know, to be honest, when the girls were younger they didn't like being dropped anywhere, so a lot of the time they just worked with them at home and they would come with me everywhere Mm -hmm. and that was hard like it you know I managed and I think that I I just loved being at home with them so much that for, for me for a very long time I didn't need a lot of alone time or anything like that and I just managed to get things done but they got to a point where number one they liked going to people's houses so we slowly started with people that were close to us like my sister and slowly branched out to very close friends. And so now I have a network of homeschooling families, my family that look after the girls on different days. I guess for for a very long time, yeah, I've, I've just really enjoyed it being the three of us and I haven't really needed a lot of time to myself. But now what it looks like is that my, my parents have finally moved up from the Gold Coast. So they're just around the corner. Mum and sometimes my dad will take them on the Mondays to, uh, they actually go to a gymnastics program and then Lego. So they're seeing your boys mm. on the Monday and all of their other friends. And on a Tuesday, I spend our adventure day out with your family. So 
That's one of my favourite days of the week. And Wednesday, they come to forest school with me. Thursdays, we have programs with other families in the homeschooling community. So at one point, we were going to a co-op, but this term, we're doing like a athletics activity day. And then afterwards, we're engaging in other activities. So this week, I'm actually going to take everyone down to the rock pools, which is going to be really fun. And then on the Fridays, they either go to another homeschooling family's house or my sister's house. I've built this up so that I've got family members to look after the girls. And one of the beautiful things about the community is that when they go to other people's houses, they're engaging in activities that I don't necessarily (laughs) do a lot with them. So uh, one of my friends' houses (laughs) do a lot of baking and cooking, which is not something that is inherently a passion of mine and <laughs> crafting. They learn a lot of all these awesome creative things at friends' houses and they're finally getting to the age where we don't need car seats. So mm-hmm. we're able to actually broaden that even more. And it's really hard to see beyond how old it our is. children are. Those, so for mm-hmm. those parents who are just have like a, a preppy and they're thinking about homeschooling and you've got siblings who are still very little, it's hard to see past. It is. So, yeah, when they get older, it gets easier. The other thing I'll say about my girls is that since the very beginning, I have always tried to get them to play independently. I don't interrupt their play. I am very firm with my boundaries around play. So if I'm actually doing a task, they know that I'm not ready to play. But as soon as they do actually go and play independently and allow me to work, then I will have more time to dedicate Mm. to doing things with them to get as a family. So that's a really intentional choice that I made really early on and my and I think a lot of people don't have <laughs> my girls just go and play they yeah, love each I'm other's company so yes. much they play so well together actually I'm gonna butt in there do you mind talking about that because I think this is an unexpected bonus about homeschooling that mm. a lot of people don't actually consider yeah talk to me about the relationship between the girls the relationship that my girls have it's just simply beautiful it's something that I've always wanted them to have and it you know, sometimes I just look at them and my heart melts. Even when they're like, I mean, they fight, don't get me wrong, they're not yeah, like this all the time. They're human and I think that sibling rivalry is actually a really important way of learning conflict resolution. But especially when I'm tuned in and I've got my respectful communication phrases ready to go, they are so quick to turn around and hug each other. They are so close like they're such good friends I was really lucky that I read siblings without rivalry right when Ellie was probably before Macy was born actually when Mm -hmm. I found out I was was pregnant with her and that book really set the tone of how I wanted their relationship to be and what I needed to do in order to invest in them to be so close and what not to Mm -hmm. say to, mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes we say things without really realising the impacts that that can have on their relationship. That ongoing conversation that we have about being respectful and how to be heard. So a lot of the conversations I have with them is if you want someone to listen to you, then you don't talk to them in that way. And and they're really quick to come around and they know that if they want the play to continue with each other, then they have to sort of problem solve that in a way that will benefit both of them I'm really really grateful for the relationship that they have and I think it's important to remember that if they were separated by not seeing as much of each other 
then they wouldn't probably have as close a relationship and they would be influenced by their social group a lot more than what they're influenced right now. So families first and, you know, all the families that we work with are often like that as well, you know, like their their family is really important. Everyone really respects that. Which that's kind of answered the next question, which was uh, what about socialisation? But is there Mm. anything you'd like to add there? Because you've spoken about your hectic, not hectic, your beautiful weekly schedule, Mm. obviously, so you're seeing a ton of people. But is there anything else you'd like to add there? Yeah, I guess it's your children will be as social as as you want them to be. And I I think it's a little bit tougher for those introverts who don't actually want to have that much human contact. Uh, (laughs) But there is so many opportunities for children to be social and they will play with the neighbours, they will play, oh, my gosh, my kids just play all week. Mm -hmm. We just we literally have way too many things to attend you get FOMO, but you also need that time at home. So like we say, it's almost like never at home school. Yeah. We actually spend so much time away from our home that we crave those days where we don't have to leave the house because we are out so much. But that's, I love that. Like I love the fact that we can be surrounded by people who want to do the similar things to us, you know, going on adventures. We go rock pooling all the time or we'll go cliff jumping Uh, Karamundi Lake. Yeah, there's just so many amazing things that we can do and that we get time to do and we get to do it in the middle of the week when no one is out. One thing I didn't bring up when we were chatting, it was like, yeah, and when we go away camping, we go away Mm. in the middle of term, in the middle of the week, and we have the whole places to ourselves. Yeah. And no school pick up and drop off as well. For me, I I like missing that school traffic. I love missing the school traffic. And every now and then when I get caught in it, I'm, I'm shocked. Yeah, pole oh, that I've had to stop my flow. Oh, for the day. Four <laughs> years I have been driving to forest school once, usually once a week, oh, yes. uh, half an hour away, and every single time I'm like, "Oh, school's on." Yeah. <laughs> I didn't budget <laughs> for school time. Like. Yeah, because uh, we just we always meet our friends later in the day. We can have a nice leisurely morning. We do afternoon sessions. Like when yeah. we catch up, you know, just after lunch and we can go all the way into the evening. Or we can go to Australia Zoo in the like mid-afternoon yeah. when it's really quiet. Yeah, we can go to go there to like half a day and just do one section of the zoo or, yeah, mm. there's just, we, like, you know, I don't even have enough days in the week to go to the zoo at the moment. I was just thinking the same thing. I couldn't remember last time. Yeah. The other thing is being able to honour your child's body clock too mm. I've got one that gets up early and one that likes to sleep in and the sleeper in her I would have to shake awake and rush to get to school and that would just fracture our relationship yeah. so it's so nice that just about all homeschool classes here on the coast start at 9 30 not yeah. 9 or not 8 30 so that you can avoid that traffic so exactly. it's little things that add up to this really nice lifestyle it is and that's what I love about it so much it's not just one thing it's all the things it's Mm. it's the fact that we I just feel like we have our hometown to ourselves most of the time (laughs) we get to actually spend a lot of time at our favorite places not just you know the odd weekend here or there it's every week I get to go to my favorite place without fail and build those again, you know, we harp on and on and on about it through wildlings is that our children are building that deep connection with nature and community mm. and place because they do get to spend that time in those places. 
That's right. And they learn so much. Oh, my goodness, from our community. You know, you sit down and even, you know, the fact they come to the homeschool groups, but they can really sit down and pick the brains of the people around them or hear the conversations that we're having. And it really brings out those really deep conversations and they they know so many different adults on an intimate level, like even um, our employees. We have so many phenomenal employees yeah, that our children really, really get to work alongside with, that mentors them in themselves. So we're so incredibly grateful. And it, But at the same time, it has been incredibly intentional. We yes. have built yes. this because this is what we wanted for our children. We sacrificed certain things. We made very intentional decisions. And mm. we took a risk, like we took a risk in this business. A big one. You, you know, know, and we worked for free for a long time. A really long time. We were making no income, but we had a vision and we wanted this for our children so badly. And so that's what we, I remember having conversations going, you know what, we're not making any money, but look what our kids get to do. <laughs> How many times have we had that conversation? Yeah. <laughs> but look yeah. where we went this week with yeah. work. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, the number of times that I've just stopped in the middle of a wildling session, you know, my, my daughter yells out, Mom, there's a possum in the tree. And mm. I just think she could be at school right now, sitting behind a desk, feeling mm. like, like, like me, like, you know, working out how to work the system. I wasn't, mm. I was like, you're not getting, don't get me wrong. I'm, I don't think I'm not intelligent, but I was really knew how to get the right answer I knew mm-hmm. knew what subtleties to look at in the teacher like you know when they sort of point in the right direction of the right answer mm. or they give you clues it's not thinking for yourself that's learning how to decode the right answer from the teacher yeah. you know that's not problem solving that's not critical thinking that's what I was it's good so at great peopling though well mm. done yeah I know it's a skill, <laughs> it's a skill but it's and also nuances yeah uh, <laughs> that you know that's not deep learning Mm. And I was yeah. actually scared of that deep learning or taking risks in case I got it wrong. I don't want people and look to at us now. And look at us now. And now we're like, oh, failure's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine having sprouted that in year 12? Yeah, no. I would just be like, no, it's not. No, it's <laughs> not. And I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but I think I mentioned it in one of the other podcasts, but I got into university before the end of year 12 and... And I, so I could have actually relaxed in year 12, but I had so much pressure on myself for my OP that I've mm. never used in my entire life <laughs> and cried for two days when I got my OP because it wasn't what I wanted. Um, and I just think about those deeply heartbreaking experiences which were based on things that are not important. And um, I don't mind having hardship and hard experiences, but that shaped me in a way that was unhealthy. That wasn't mm. a healthy heartbreak at all. That wasn't a, a, a life lesson that I think was a necessary one. No, it was a pointless one. Yeah, point, like, a, you know, so really mm. interesting. And that's the thing. We've I've done a lot of critical thinking about my own educational journey and, you know, that eighth-grade student, the people pleaser. I've had to unpick and, and really examine my biases, my educational snobbery, I often call it. I was, I was deeply educated. Like I was a really big education snob for That's a very long time. Our culture and society too. Yeah, I used to think I used to be a snob because I went to a Catholic school, so I used to think that that was better because it wasn't a state school. Mm. And I don't think I intentionally thought that, but when I examined my thought processes, that's what I thought. And 
I used to think that my peers who would get D's or E's or C's, they were, they were just going to be average people. They weren't actually going to do anything that was going to change the world. Or And then when I actually left school and saw these people around me become successful and all these amazing, like, like I'm so happy for them now. And they were, they were successful, but they weren't successful at school. They were, in my eyes, they were going to be these just ordinary people that weren't doing anything worth anything. And then they were, and it made me think, hang on a minute. And then when I thought about all my other fellow A-grade students and I was like, well, no one's actually doing anything extraordinary. Like, this isn't the way that it's meant to be. I was told that A-grades get the the successful life and the pick of whatever they want. And I soon realised it was about relationships. Like, if you wanted, if you want something in life, you need to build relationships. You don't need to build your grades. Mm. You can have average grades, but if you know how to network and be good at dealing with people or just be good at what you do, like from a really passionate standpoint, you can be good at something and still not get good grades at it. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think that's proven over and over in education. Like you look mm. at the authors that, not that they hated English, but they didn't get A's in English, but they're creative. In, yeah. And the creativity might not have been able to shine through because they had to write a newspaper report. Yeah, exactly. Although I love those ones where um, they've written an exam question based on an author's book and then the author's gone back and done the question and got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of unpicking to do. Yeah. in what we do in education. So it is, it's about really critically looking at it through a critical lens and making some decisions based on that or being okay with the choices that you make but also knowing this stuff so that you can support your children. You know, they are going to be getting subliminal messages but if you're aware of that then you can really shape hopefully the way that they see themselves and they see their education as just part of their life and there is a holistic nature to who they are and not just what grades they get on them at school. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to throw some rapid-fire questions at you. Oh, yeah, go for it. How nice to flip it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what is your favourite all-time book or book that you're reading now? Oh, so I'm just looking at my books over here. My favourite all-time book is Untamed by Glennon mm-hmm. Doyle. Uh, yes. That one so deeply resonated with me. You're a goddamn cheater. You're a goddamn cheater. <laughs> we can do hard things. Um, yeah, just I think I'll just leave it at that. If you're looking for a empowering book, just read it. Just mm. read it. So good. Yeah. Just as good on audiobook as well. And actually, it's funny because we both got it on audiobook and went, oh, we need to read it. And then we read it. And we're like, actually, I sort of need both. Yeah, it was. Really good. All right, next question. Where do you go and take your family if you need to reset? Yeah, so I have two places. The first is the lake that's just around the corner from our house. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's generally crystal clear water and it, you know, changes all the time and it's just it's so close and there's forest and there's beach and there's lake and it's got everything. Um, mm-hmm. But my absolute favourite place to go is at Point Cartwright at Kiwana Marine biology is my jam and <laughs> I feel like there's a never-ending treasure hunt every time I go down there I find something new or unique and I love you know that is my zen place that is my true meditation it's when I'm fully immersed and in the moment is when I'm scouring those rock pools if you ever get the chance to join Vicky in one of her rock pool tours do it she's amazing <laughs> I learn something every ah, time I go down to the beach with I her. love it <laughs> so fun what one thing would you change about the education system? I ask this question to so many people and I don't actually know. I actually think I would love to see children 
with more freedom. Freedom is my my key, I think is my core value. And mm-hmm. I would like to see children having the ability to have autonomy and freedom in their learning. So would that look like a democratic school? Some form of democratic school, I guess. Like I love learning about all different schooling types. Some form of democratic education mm-hmm. would be my would be my answer. Nice. This is not one of our usual rapid fire questions, but you know, this is not a usual podcast for us. So what one piece of advice would you give a parent or parents who are just kind of on the edge and they're thinking of homeschooling or perhaps they did a little bit in COVID and it didn't kill them? (laughs) Hey, look, also, by the way, if you survived COVID homeschooling, you can freaking homeschool because that is not what homeschooling looks like. That, oh, take my hat off to anyone that got through that. That was hard. Yeah, yeah, from what I saw, it was just nothing like what our life looks like or anyone else. No. So if you manage that, actual homeschooling will be a breeze. Yeah. Yeah, what piece of advice would you give someone that was interested but scared? I would say, I think I mentioned it before, you can always undo your decision. Mm. So whatever choice you make, don't be afraid to change your mind, number one, I don't have one piece of advice. Got too many pieces of advice. <laughs> uh, and the second thing would be just start engaging in conversations with other homeschoolers. Mm. That is the, the hands down. That social proof is yeah. the best way for you to make a decision. If you can feel held and supported by your community because you're seeing what other people are doing and you're hearing about why they love what they do because, oh, God, we can get into some conversations about why we have picked an awesome lifestyle, then that will help you to feel confident in your choice. I just want to add to your answer about that social proof is get on all the Facebook homeschooling pages. Get Mm. on all of them because all the questions are there and also join your state home education association chapter. Mm. There's an Australia wide one and then there's one per state and that will help you with any questions you've got about registration, different kinds of curriculum, Facebook pages you should follow. That's probably where I started going down the rabbit hole going, oh, I'll look at all these people managing. Oh, look, yeah. yeah, and making those decisions. And you'll find your crew, you'll find the people that will resonate with you and you'll find the curriculum if that's your jam you'll find those people as well so Mm. that would be mine but my other one would be just do it just do it (laughs) just if if, listen no I'm going to take that back I'm going to take a piece of Glennon Doyle's untamed advice and say women in particular listen to your gut because it's Mm. actually probably if you tune in it's probably actually screaming at you and you're probably trying to Turn it off because there's a lot of decision-making and a lot of lifestyle changes that are up ahead that can look really scary at the time. But if you just take them one step at a time, you can get out the other end in a couple of years and go, oh, my gosh, best thing we ever did. Yeah. Mm. Yep. And if it's not, you can always change your mind. But you won't because you'll love it just as much as we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh look we hope you enjoyed our little chat with vicky today and we hope it gave you some insights into a how vicky does it and we do it and how we handle homeschooling and the juggle and finances 
and hope it gives you a little bit of inspiration as to how your family can make the leap into homeschooling or unschooling if you've been dabbling with the idea. We can honestly say it's been the best thing we've ever done for ourselves individually, our children individually and our family as a whole. Stay tuned for next week's episode where Nikki chats to Anita and Nathan from the Homeschool Project podcast. They're a military family from the States who are recording their journey from the school system to homeschooling. And if you'd like a little inspiration to start your family homeschooling, then head to www.kit.co forward slash wildlings to check out our recommended reading list for all things homeschooling, unschooling. There's some really great reads in there. In fact, I would go so far as to claim life-changing reads with Peter Gray's Free to Learn and John Holt's. There's just some books in there that will completely change the way you look at how children learn and the education system. So happy reading and until next week, stay Stay wild. wild. If you enjoyed this episode of Raising Wildlings, then we invite you to check out Your Wild Business, our signature business course for education changemakers who are ready to create or refine their own nature play businesses. Your Wild Business is the only program that focuses on the business side of nature play with sustainable practices, processes, and systems that will cut down your admin work, giving you more time to focus on building a business that is centered around your educational philosophies whilst working around the current legislation and red tape. And you'll become a part of our wonderful community of other education changemakers leaping forward into the big, wide world of business. We'd love for you to be a part of it. So why not come and check out Your Wild Business on the Raising Wildlings website today?